Right, let's go to the Word of God then tonight. Isn't it great to be involved in missions? Really, every church, every single church ought to be involved in missions. Either giving or sending or both. Uh, it does something to a congregation when you know that you're helping people on the other side of the world. Uh, the minute the Haiti thing, uh, there's millions has been given to that and they're going to need every penny of it and I hope and trust they get it uh, because that is a shocking, absolutely serious thing that's going on there, isn't it? I was thinking the other night, Sally and I was talking, could you imagine what it must be like to be buried alive? You, you can't imagine it, sure you can't. Being buried alive and you're living and there's tons of stuff above you and you can't hear anything or see anything and you're suffocating and you're starving and you're dehydrated. And it, just, it just is unimaginable, isn't it? It's just a living nightmare for people. And, uh, and so they need our prayers and they need, certainly need help. And thank God that organizations is mobilizing and, and trying to get some help to those uh, poor people. So uh, you turn to Second Kings chapter 6. And I'll turn to Romans uh, chapter 8 because I just want to read one verse here and then we're going to look at uh, 2 Kings 6. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us. Who can be against us? 2 Kings 6. Most of us in here at any rate know this story relatively well. Uh, but we'll read it again. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down here. And then a king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not once, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? So he obviously thought there was a spy in the camp. One of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And so he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God arose, early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. The servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And so he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so when the Syrians came down to him, 
Elisha, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor, this, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria, or into the very camp of their enemies, Israel. And so it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, and he sent them away, and they went to their master. And so the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. A few scriptures so graphically illustrate the inescapable fact that you and I, even though we live in a material, physical, visible world, it is most definitely controlled by a spirit world. Daniel 10, Ezekiel 28, Ephesians 6 are a few more of those scriptures that illustrate that point. And so there are three realms in which you and I have got to contend with. And very obviously, what the Bible calls the kingdom of this world. This physical, visible, material world of the sense realm. We can see it, we can feel it, we can touch it, we can hear it, we can smell it. Now, you or I did not choose to live in this world. We were born into it. But we can choose either to live for it or not to live for it. We've got to live in it until Jesus comes or calls. But as long as we live in it, we don't have to live for it. We're in the world, the Bible says, but we're not of the world. Isn't that right? Jesus got it right in John 15 when he said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world... But I chose you out of this world. Therefore the world hates you. And so even though we're in it, we're not of it. But it's inescapable. We've got to be here. And so we've got to walk this life knowing who we are and knowing that the world surrounds us and we've got to work in it and live in it and operate in it, but we're not of it. James 4 and 4 is even tougher than that. It says, friendship with the world is enmity against God. 1 John 2.15, John says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, of course, he's not talking about the, <laughs> the mountains and the seas and and. and family and friends and people because we've got to love people. He's talking about this world system 
the way this world operates. How many people know this world does not operate according to the principles of Christ? <laughs> sure it doesn't. In fact, we live in a, in a, in a country, we live in a, a kingdom, the United Kingdom, in which even, even secular press men are saying that Christianity has been pushed to the margins. Andrew Marr, even Simon Mayo, the radio presenter, he's saying that Christianity has been pushed to the extremities of society. They've appointed a Sikh over songs of praise. Can you imagine? Not a country in the world would do that. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? And so he says, do not love this world. Don't love the way this world is run. Because it's contrary to God and the things of God. And if any man does love it, he says, the love of the Father is not in him. And so that's the kingdom of this world that you and I are in, but we're not of. But we've got to deal with it. Then, of course, there is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. We'll use those terms interchangeably. That's the, this invisible world that God controls, that's God's world, that's invisible. The only visibility that it can possibly have is through us, through his church in this world. Because we are the light of the world, aren't we? But to the world it's invisible. God opened our eyes and we can see it. We know it. We live in it. We understand it. But the world doesn't. It's the kingdom of God. And until God, by his spirit, takes the curtain from a man or woman's eyes, they just do not see it. And we were exactly the same until the Holy Spirit removed that curtain. And then for the first time we saw it. Jesus said in Luke 17, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now actually in the context he's saying that, the literal translation, the kingdom of God is among you. Because he was the king of the kingdom. But now that he's left, and now that he's sent his Holy Spirit to come and reside within us, he, the king of the kingdom, by his spirit resides in us. So the kingdom of heaven now is within us. And so it is now, this invisible kingdom of God is now represented visibly on this earth by us. Now one day it will manifest itself fully. And the whole world will know. The Bible says that the kings of the nations shall come and pay homage to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until then, the only glimpse of the kingdom of God they're ever going to get in this earth is three believers. So it shows you why our testimony has got to be good. And you know that when you lose your testimony, and particularly the higher up the ladder you go in public profile, you know the trouble that causes, isn't it? How the enemy uses that against the kingdom. And then, of course, the third realm, again, very obviously, is the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus, in John 12, called Satan the ruler of this world, of this present age. Ephesians 2 and 2 Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians chapter 6, 
where it talks about spiritual warfare. It says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against those spiritual wickedness in high places. And there's a hierarchy in the spirit realm, even in the wicked spirit realm. And that's what we wrestle against spiritually, not people physically. Our argument's not with people. It's what motivates people. When somebody's coming against you for your Christianity, it's not them per se. It's the spirit behind them that's getting at you. It's the way it is. It's the way it always will be until the Lord comes. And so while men live in the kingdom of this world, they have two choices. They can either live for the kingdom of God or they can live for the kingdom of darkness. But they'll live one or the other. They'll live for one or the other. There's no neutral area. There's no in-between place. There's no kind of limbo land here. You're either living for one or you're living for the other. Now, nobody wants to admit, well, I'm living for the kingdom of darkness. Nobody's going to say that. But actually, if you're not living for the kingdom of light, you're living for the kingdom of darkness. Jesus, who's not with me, is against me. So it's very clear cut. But of course, man doesn't recognize that. Now, these two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of darkness, there are two simple laws that govern these two kingdoms. Two simple laws. And Romans 8 and 2 said, The spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This world is governed by the law of sin and death. The kingdom of God is governed by the law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus. And us in here, at some point in our lives, we were under that law of sin and death. We were in that kingdom. But at some point, we entered into this kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And now we're governed by the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And it happened instantly, didn't it? It was a supernatural act of God's Holy Spirit that changed your heart and my heart. And we've never been the same again. We're not perfect and we make mistakes and we sin, but we're not the same. Our propensity is to walk in the light as he is the light. Isn't it, man? Now, back to her story in Two Kings. And we're going to see here that Satan basically governs by fear and God governs by faith. And we can live our lives by fear or we can live our lives by faith. And there's always going to be a struggle between those two. So the context of the story to this point is this, that the Syrians, the ancient enemy of Israel, were wanting to attack Israel. And the Syrian king was making all these plans, but Elisha, the prophet of God, God opened up his ears and he could actually hear what he was saying in his bedroom. Isn't that amazing? Every word. And then the prophet would go and send a message to the king of Israel and say, don't go to such and such a place. Don't go over there. Don't go over there. Don't go over there because they're going to be ambushing you if you go there. And so they didn't go there. And so the king of Syria thought, well, there's somebody telling the story. There's a spy in the camp. And they says, no, my Lord. It's Elisha the prophet. God reveals everything to this man. He says, well, send for him. We're going to get him. 
Now you'd think you'd be heart scared at that point, wouldn't you? I mean, if, if God was revealing the prophet the very, your very words in your bedroom, I, I think your knees would be knocking, wouldn't it? But not this man. Find out where he is. Oh, he's in Dothan. All right, let's go and get him. And so he took a great army, it says. A great army for one man. He was making sure he was going to get him, wasn't he? The devil always underestimates things, doesn't he? And so he surrounded the area where Elisha and the young helper was in Dothan. And that next morning, the young helper goes out, opens the door, and suddenly he's confronted by a massive army. And everywhere he looks, and every hill, every nook, every cranny, there's these thousands of armed soldiers, armed to the teeth. So what's he going to do? Well, let's see how he responds, and let's see how the prophet responds. One is the reaction of fear, the other is the reaction of faith. Here's the reaction of fear. Verse 15. Alas, master, what shall we do? Fear only sees the problem. It's all he could see. Everywhere he looked, that was a problem. There was no escape. He was surrounded, hemmed in on every side. Have you ever been in that place where everywhere you look, there's a problem? You're not just dealing with one thing. It seems to be they've just all closed in on you. And every side there's a problem. This is what he felt. The enemy surrounded the city. And suddenly fear grips his heart. <coughs> F-E-A-R. Somebody says that stands for false expectations appearing real. False expectations appearing real. That was real for him. These were real soldiers. This was a real army. But his expectations were false. Now sometimes things come against us that are imaginary. But fear makes it real. It seems just as real as real can be even though it's imaginary. But the feeling's the same. The fear feels exactly the same. Somebody else says that fear is that little dark room where negatives are, are uh, developed. Fear is a little dark room where negatives are developed. Isn't it amazing how when you go down that road of fear, how negative everything becomes? Where you can see no light. You can see no way through. Fear only sees the problem, first of all. Fear only asks questions. It has no answers. Alas, Master, what shall we do? Big question. And fear only asks questions because it doesn't have any answers. It's fear that robs us of our confidence, of our assurance, of our hope, of our trust. It brings confusion 
to our hearts and to our minds. It makes us feel weak and vulnerable in the face of what we're facing. I don't know anybody that has not felt the cold breath of fear upon them for one reason or another. And you know how it tends to just suffocate you? It just overwhelms you. And I could well imagine this young man opening his door and suddenly he's just overwhelmed with fear, with the sheer size of the predicament he found himself in. So fear sees only the problem. Fear only asks questions. It has no answers. But fear makes us forget who we are linked up with. What shall we do, he said. What shall we do? He forgot he was linked up to the prophet of God. He had a hotline to heaven. And we too forget when fear strikes us that we are linked to Christ. And that we have got a hotline to heaven too. Because in that moment when fear comes, everything you tend to know at that moment, it just may be momentarily, but it just goes out the window, doesn't it? The fear grips. And then you have to get a grip of yourself and say, now wait a minute, hold on a minute. God is still on his throne, isn't he? The Lord's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for me. I've got the Holy Spirit within me. See, fear makes us forget who we are linked up with. Makes us forget our connection to heaven. He was linked up to the prophet. He was linked up to a miracle worker. He was linked up to a man who could, who could cause, cause unbelievable, miraculous events to take place. But just at that moment, he was panicking, wasn't he? Fear talks defeat before the battle has even started. <laughs> Sometimes we talk ourselves into defeat, don't we? We really do. Alas, Master, what shall we do? Alas, it's a very despairing word, isn't it? It's not very comforting, sure it's not. It's kind of a hopeless word. Alas! The game's up. It's over. I'm finished. I'm done for. Alas. The battle hadn't even started. He'd given up. You know, many times that's what we're like. Remember the young prophet who, he was using an axe to cut down some trees to extend the school of the prophets and how that the axe head got loose and it flew off and went into the river. Remember what he said to Elijah? Alas, master, for it was borrowed. <laughs> Alas, it's gone. It's over. I can't get it back. Could never retrieve it. What am I going to do? I borrowed it. I'm in trouble. And on and on it goes. And we're no different. When something happens and that fear strikes at our heart, alas, we feel that sense of what in the world am I going to do? Fear talks defeat, defeat before the battle has even started. Muhammad Ali was arguably the greatest boxer that ever lived in history. Arguably. 
He was incredibly fast. He was very fit. In fact, there's a poster up in that chippy up the street. I don't know, every time I go in, I chuckle when I look at it. He says, I'm so fast when I switch the light off to get into bed at night. He says, I'm in bed before it gets dark. <laughs> now, that's fast, isn't it? But many times he won his fights because his opponent was beat before he ever got into the ring. He had him beat before he ever got into the ring. Some of his opponents, you could see him, you could see him sweating bullets when they, get, when they got into the ring. They were sweating profusely before a punch had been thrown. They were so frightened of this man. He told them, he had always announced, I'm going to knock you out in round five or knock you out in round three. And they believed it. He believed it. They believed it too. That was their problem. They believed it. And inevitably he did. Raymond was telling me about a famous fight he had. I, I, I should have asked you before the service who he was fighting. And uh, in the middle of the fight, they're up against the ropes. And Ellie said to him, he said, you're getting tired, and this is no place to be tired. <laughs> Who was that he was fighting room? Can you remember? George Foreman. George, he says, you're getting tired, and this is no place to be tired. <laughs> but fear does that, doesn't it? It has us beat before we even start. And then another thing about fear. Fear assumes that the battle is ours and not the Lord's. Fear makes you assume that. Alas, Master, what shall we do? We, you and me. Not God or the angels, not all of heaven. We, us, you and me. Look at the many, they're just you and me. They assumed it was their battle, not God's. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Remember how that great big champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath, how he stood out there shouting over the valley of Elah, shouting at the armies of Israel. What did he shout? Send out a man. Any man. You're champion. I'm the champion this side. You pick one man and we'll fight. And if I beat him, you'll serve us. If he beats me, we'll serve you. Of course, he thought he was, I mean, he was nine foot tall, so he didn't think there was going to be much of a contest here. And he'd been out there for 40 days, and nobody was taking him on. Stand out a man, this is between you and me. And that's what the devil wants you to think in your battle. This is between you and me. So forget about praying. Forget about God. Forget about your friends. Forget about church. Forget about the Word of God. This is you and me. When that happens, fear makes you believe that the battle is yours and it's not the Lord's. But the battle is the Lord's. And God was on his side, as we'll see in a moment. Now David reminded the armies of Israel that this was an uncircumcised Philistine. He was not a covenant man. And because he was not a covenant man, God was not on his side but God's on the side of the covenant people. So David was saying, God's not on his side. I don't care he's nine feet tall. God's not on his side. I may be only four foot in the stock and soles here, but God's on my side because I'm a covenant person. And your big mountain of a problem is coming against you. God's not on its side. God's on your side. He's always on your side because you're a covenant person. God made a covenant with his son about you for you 
We're in that. It's a new covenant. And it was cut in his blood. Sealed in his blood. So don't forget who the battle is. So that's a reaction of fear. But then let's look at the response of faith. The first thing the prophet said in verse 16, the first thing he said was, Fear not. It was written all over his face, wasn't it? I mean, he must have looked horrified. When he, when he looked out that door that morning, the hairs must have stood in the back of his neck. He must have been sheet white with fright. The prophet took one look at him and he says, don't be afraid. Do not fear. This is the response of faith. Faith speaks assurance, hope, confidence, peace, calmness. Do you remember how that Jairus, how he went to Jesus and said, Lord, come, my, my little daughter, she's dying. Would you please, please come? And he says, okay, I'll come. And how on the way there, the woman with the issue of blood intervened. And she had a marvelous healing, but that took up some time. And there was a big crowd and a lot of pushing and shoving, and it was difficult just to, to make the journey. But eventually, Jesus... And Jairus got there. And just as they got there, people come out the door and said, too late. Don't be even bother the master. She's dead. It's too late. And at that point, it says, when Jesus heard those things that they said, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. It was written all over his face. The sheer horror of it. Jesus was right there, but it was too late. He didn't make it in time. His best efforts had fallen short. And he was afraid. He just gripped him. And Jesus saw it. Couldn't miss it. It was in his very eyes. The first thing he says was, don't be afraid. Only believe. And he raised that little girl up, didn't he? In Genesis 26, 24, God said to Isaac, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. Isaac wasn't his father. Isaac wasn't really a bold type of a person. And God knew that. And he came to him in a moment of need. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm the God of your father. As I was with your father, I'll be with you. Don't be afraid. In Isaiah chapter 41... verse 10 of Isaiah 41, it says, Fear not, 
for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, sometimes we just need to go to the Word and read it and say, Lord, that's what you said. I'm not to fear. I'm not even to be dismayed because you're going to strengthen me and you will uphold me with your right hand. It's a wonderful scripture. Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now, thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's not a fantastic promise of God. He didn't say you don't have to go through the fire or through the rivers or through the waters or through the difficulty. But he says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm with you right in it. And he says, you'll come out the other side. See, these are powerful scriptures, promises of God. We've got to believe in them, trust them. And so fear not is the response of faith. Second response is this, to acknowledge that while we live in an earthly kingdom, we live for a heavenly kingdom. So while we're living in this earthly kingdom, we live for a heavenly kingdom. Now, if we live for that kingdom, let me tell you this, that kingdom will live for you. Are you for the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is for you. Are you for Christ? Christ is for you. Are you for God? God's for you. That's the way that it works. That's the way that it works. Here's what the prophet said. When he came out, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now you see, he saw the bigger picture. The young man could only see with natural eyes. All he could see was the armies of Syria around about them. And it was a great army. But Elisha not only saw the armies of Syria, he even saw who was behind the armies. They that be with them. Not just they that be them, but they be with them. That which was motivating and energizing them against Israel was those evil forces from that kingdom of darkness. But he saw the big picture. But he says, they that be with us are even more than even they that be with them. <laughs> With all of their armies and all that's behind their armies, there's more with us. What a declaration. What a response from this man because his eyes were opened and he could see. And he said, Lord, he says, open his eyes. Let him see what I'm seeing. <laughs> open his eyes. And so, to acknowledge that we while we live in an earthly kingdom, we live for a heavenly kingdom. 
And then, of course, to realize that the odds are stacked in our favor. Thank God. They're stacked in our favor. One with God's a majority. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. And we know that all heaven is behind us if we are for God. We've got Jesus Christ, the advocate in heaven. We've got the Holy Spirit, the advocate on earth. We've got the Father God. We've got the angels of God. We've got all of heaven's resources. There's more for us than is against us. The odds are stacked in our favor. Way in our favor. In Psalm 3, we'll be through in a moment or two. Psalm 3, Psalm of David, when he was fleeing from Absalom, his son. Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. He says, even though there's ten thousands of them, he says, God is for me. He says, in fact, he even gave me some rest and sustained me in the middle of it. I lay down and slept. See, there was a man who was trusting God, wasn't he? Remember the little quote I read you last week from the cell group sheet? Andrew Murray said, he says, when I realized that if Christ was in the room next door praying for me, I would not fear a million enemies. He's not next door praying for us. He's seated at the right hand of God praying for us. Psalm 34, just a couple of these. Psalm 34. And verse, well, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalm 125 this is the last one here. Psalm 125, verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Now let me just give you one more. Isaiah, Isaiah 54.
Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment. Now listen to it, folks. Devil wants to rise up a tongue against you in judgment. Have you ever somebody speak ill of you? Ever somebody talk about you behind your back and speak really, really nastily ill of you? Ever somebody come to your face and speak really ill of you and threaten you? So you need to hold on to this scripture. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. What a powerful promise of God. Amen. And then finally, response of faith, fear not. Acknowledge which kingdom we live for. Realize the odds are stacked in our favor. And to encourage the faith of those around you. Elisha encouraged the faith of the young man. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. He's not getting it. He can't see it. That's why he's afraid. If he could see what I see, he would not be afraid. So Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opened his eyes. Put yourself in that position. You're standing, you're worried sick. Your life, you think, is just finished. You're beat. There's no possible way you can get through this difficulty. And suddenly, the Lord opens your eyes and all you can see is victory. All you can see is victory. Lord, I'm going to win this battle. I am not going to lose this fight. Lord, this battle is yours and we're going to win this together. Amen. And that's what happened. His eyes were opened and he could see. I should have kept you in Isaiah. You don't even need to turn to this. This will close with this. Isaiah 35. It's lovely. 3 and 4. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. <laughs> Encourage somebody. Pray for somebody. Encourage somebody. Say, do not fear. God is with you. Here's a wee promise for you. And turn to scripture. And say, here's the word of God. Look at that. Lean in that. Trust in that. And do you know what? Hope will begin to rise up in their hearts. Faith will begin to stir. And suddenly, they may think themselves for the first time in ages... God, I'm going to come through this. God, I'm going to win this battle. God, I'm not going to sink in this storm. God, I'm going to come through in victory in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Stand with me, please.